Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast. Remember that North Korea expert a while back whose interview with the BBC was interrupted when his kids came wandering in the back of shot and then his wife had to sort of crawl in and drag them out? You know, it went viral because it just seemed so novel, but now that's, that's just everybody's work day to day, really. And almost as proof. Today, spoiler alert, you'll hear a classic example with a delightful cameo from the children of National Correspondent Steve Kilgallen. Broadcasters in the making, I reckon. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Wednesday the 8th of April. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each weekday, we bring you the latest news as well as some of the more unusual things you might have missed in this pandemic. So, Boris Johnson... British Prime Minister still in ICU and really dangerously sick. I mean, this morning I listened to British broadcasters talking through the scenarios in in the event of his death. That's still an outside chance, as I understand. But this is a huge deal. It's not just the awfulness of this guy with, you know, it was a pregnant girlfriend who's perilously ill, but what happens could really affect the way Britain deals with the crisis, even if it's just that, that he takes a while to recover. Hey, speaking of the UK, did you see that there are 20 new phone masts which have been vandalised by people convinced there's a connection between the 5G phone networks and the pandemic? Right. It's depressing we even have to talk about it, but there's a piece in stuff which dismantles it and it'll convince you that they have as much to do with each other as chalk and cheese. Meanwhile, US President Donald Trump took time out from fighting the most horrifying health crisis facing his country in over a century to launch a public attack on the World Health Organization and its handling of COVID-19. He threatened to freeze American funding of the WHO, but later said he was only looking at a freeze. Later in the show, we talked to Steve Kilgallen with the help of his kids. He's been looking at tech tools which might help contact tracers. Could electronic footprints help us get and keep control of the virus? Looking forward to that. But first, what's happened today? Another 50 cases of coronavirus have been counted in New Zealand, bringing the total to 1,210. So that's yet another day when the increase slowed. What has increased, though, is the number of people in intensive care. There are now four Ministry of Health Director-General Ashley Bloomfield has asked the officials who are overlooking clusters to open testing up to include asymptomatic close contacts. The idea is to make an even stronger ring fence around the clusters and prevent community outbreaks. And police have explicitly warned us all, do not head to your batches for Easter. They're going to be running checkpoints to enforce this. I've carefully taken the precaution of not owning a batch. Very cunning. This is my strategy as well. Speaking of getaways, though, this morning... I had a kind of adventure, and I took my recorder with me. Right, here we go. Off in my car for the first time in ages. Who is this I see in the car ahead of me? I think it may be none other than fellow podcaster Eugene Bingham. Hello, Eugene Bingham. Very exciting seeing you in the flesh. I know. Right to the left, observing social distancing. Yeah. Did you notice? I even put on shoes and long pants. Wow. So you did. What do I do with this door? I'll kick the door open. So I don't have to touch it. And I'll use my elbow button. Right, I'll see you up there. One person per lift. See ya. Hand sanitizer? Yeah. Alright. Contactless swipe card. 
door. There. Right, so here we are in the office awaiting a jab. This is this is really, really weird. It's so empty, isn't it? I mean, this place is usually buzzing with people. You gotta queue up to get a cup of tea sometimes, don't you? Exactly. But there's no one in the kitchen. There's no one anywhere. I think there might be some rotten milk in the fridge. <laughs> Could well be. So the reason we're here, Adam? We are going to get our flu jabs. We are. It's kind of of the moment, isn't it? So Stuff is one of those employers which kindly lays on, every year lays on flu jabs for all its staff. But this year it's um, a bit more imperative than usual because obviously there's no connection between COVID and flu per se. But by getting this jab, we're reducing the chance of getting the flu, which means reduces the chance of having to go to the GP and eventually or go to hospital if you get really sick or passing it on to someone else and who's going to do the same and all that. So we're just trying to take some of the strain out of the health system. Yeah, we're eliminating ourselves as a potential point on the health system, aren't we? It's also a bit weird, though, because I'm so used to being in my really completely closed bubble. I mean, apart from the grocery shopping, which is a bit of a, mm. a bit of a mission, the soles of my shoes are the only things that touch stuff outside my mm. domestic bubble because I, I run, I don't touch anything, I come back. And here, I mean, a contactless swipe at the entrance, came into the car park, I opened the door with my feet, pressed the button on the lift with my elbow, with the elbow. contactless yeah. swipe card on the thing, contactless door. So I've still touched just about nothing, but I'm in this hyper alert state of thinking, you know, there's no reason to believe that there's COVID-19 anywhere on a surface in this building. But I'm so used to being in, the, in this bubble away from the rest of the world and yeah, thinking you're hyper safe. aware, aren't you? Mm. All right. Well, we should go and get our flu jabs. The nurse is waiting. We uh, should. Who's going to go first? You can. So... We've had our jab, Adam, and we thought we'd come out onto Ponsonby Road just to have a look at what's going on. It's certainly quieter, the cafes are closed, the fashion shops that Ponsonby Road is famous for are all closed. But uh, there is less traffic, but to me, I'm a little bit surprised at how many cars are around. Are you? Yeah, it's definitely picking up, hey, since the very, very early days of the lockdown. I have been into the city one time before this. I shot in to get some recording gear five days ago. And from then till now, there's quite a lot more going on. I mean, you know, I can see a grand total of maybe 15 cars around me, but uh, as compared to the yeah, usual 300. Usual around but, lunchtime. But, but last week, I just it was like two cars is all you'd see. So, I don't know, I reckon lockdown softening or yeah, something. Yeah, well, we're two weeks, you know, we're halfway through, basically, aren't we? So maybe people are becoming a little bit more relaxed. Uh, which is probably why we're seeing the police be a bit more clamped down. Speaking of police, pulled up across the road from us, uh, a policeman, you can't help but feel a little bit uh, naughty, can you? Yeah, he he definitely, he looked at us, I reckon he was trying to see how far apart we are. Luckily, I should note, we are observing a good distance. Eugene bought a really, really long cable for yes. his microphone, and uh, I've wiped off the thing when I plugged it into the bottom of the And it's causing it. you a bit of a problem, isn't it? You can't hear me. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Well, yes, I, I can't hear what he's bloody saying. But anyway, um, uh, we should get back to our respective bubbles. Um, it's It's been so, very exciting to see that you are still corporeal, that yes. uh, you're not just something down at Google Hangout. Right. But uh, let's go back to the old um, video conference. See you, on, see you on video soon. See you in a minute. So, two weeks into lockdown, eh? According to the estimate at the beginning, that means we have two weeks to go. Two weeks, here's hoping. Mm. So I think we can all agree, can't we, that notwithstanding a few hiccups, you know, rogue ministers at the beach and things, is he ever going to live that down? It seems to have gone about as well as we could expect so far. 
in other countries, things are not as clear cut, are they? You know, in Japan, which did seem to be in a bit of a state of denial while it still clung on to the hope of keeping the Olympics alive, the government has just declared a state of emergency. But it's a little bit more complicated because they don't have to follow the order. Japan's constitution does not allow Prime Minister Shinzo Abe to order people to stay home or for businesses to close. It's kind of up to them. Before this week's declaration, Tokyo residents had been asked to work from home. But here's the thing. Working from home is a bit of a foreign concept. Just one in eight people have ever done it. And then over in China, which was the total opposite, of course, the government imposed a swift and strict lockdown in Wuhan, where the epicenter of the outbreak is. They have lifted restrictions overnight. Apparently, it's quite a broken city. Well, you can imagine 11 million people who were devastated by this disease. So anyway, they're finally allowed to travel again. But according to the New York Times, this can only happen once they present authorities with a government-sanctioned phone app. And this thing holds their home address, their recent travel, their medical histories, which are all indications of whether or not they're a contagion risk. It sounds a bit heavy-handed, but those are the kind of tech solutions, you know, may be imposed in a different sort of way that, that New Zealand and other countries are going to have to start looking at. Um, mm. Yeah, and that's what's one of the things Steve Cook-Allen talks about later in the show. Uh, staying with overseas countries, though, I just got an email from a friend who lives in Brunei, which has got a population of a little bit over 400,000. Just remind and, us where Brunei is, Adam. Uh, you know, it's over by Malaysia, tiny little country, oil rich, run by a sultan. Anyway, my friend says people in Brunei are feeling pretty happy about the fact that there was a very early call to shut the borders and stop flights uh, and to go into lockdown. So to date, they've had 135 cases. I just checked on the WHO site and there's no new cases today. They've had one death in total. And in fact, it's two days since they've had any new cases at all. But my friend says one element of this could be having a sultan at the head is also very persuasive. She said the penalties are severe and it's been dabbling in Sharia law in recent years as well. So yeah, when the sultan says lockdown, you lock down. But then again, I was, I was thinking about this earlier today. So remember when Wuhan first locked down and the deaths started falling, which seemed a, a good thing. There's a lot of comment in Western media along the lines that we should worry because it's only authoritarian governments and their very compliant populations that would act in ways where you could make those lockdowns work and get those really swift responses. But I don't know, New Zealand feels like a bit of a counterexample to that. You know, it turns out with a different kind of compliant population and some geographical isolation, what you need is not so much a strong man as, you know, a kind woman. I don't know. Remember last week, Adam, we put out a call for New Zealanders living overseas to get in touch? I remember that. You remember that. You were there. And for them to send us in an email, viruspod at stuff.co.nz. So in fact, there, got... there, was, there was some discussion over exactly what that email should be, because Coronavirus Podcast New Zealand sent far too many letters. It did. It seemed very, very long. Yes. Viruspod, nice and yeah. efficient. Mm. Good email address, I feel. I feel it's kind of, yeah, snappy. So we've got our first two to play to you. First is Joe Reddy. Okay. And... Uh, I am ready, play Joe Reddy. Oh, you know what I said it was, but truth is, not as ready as I said I was going to be. There he is, there he is, here he is. Hi, Eugene and Adam. I'm Joe in New Zealand, teaching in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. The borders are closed with no flights coming in or out of PNG. I celebrated my birthday in the confines of the compound yesterday. It was a very ISO low-key celebration with cakes, coffee, fried chicken and whiskey on the menu. 
I may have snuck out of the compound for that coffee fix. Happy birthday for last week, Joe. I hope you didn't get in trouble for sneaking out of the compound, if indeed you did, because of course you didn't actually admit that you did. Your lawyer will tell you to say. PNG has had only one case, and that was 17 days ago, and that was someone who arrived from overseas. Right, next up, Michelle Glennon. Hi, um, my name's Michelle. I live in Melbourne. I'm a Kiwi, and I've lived here 16 years. I work at a university in town, and we're all working remotely. We're all quite happy with that. I'm well. I'm at home with my husband, who isn't working at the moment. Um, He's an Australian, but never mind. Um, What can I hear outside my window? I can hear the awful Melbourne weather belting down on us, which normally happens about this time of year. Um, Missing New Zealand dreadfully at this point. My parents are back in Christchurch, and we were hoping to get home over the um, during this year, but probably not this year. But anyway, kikaha to everybody back home. Miss you all. Missing New Zealand dreadfully. I guess that's the experience of so many Kiwis abroad, isn't it? You know, that call of home is going to be really powerful at this time, but there's not a lot you can do about it. Thanks, Joe and Michelle, and keep sending your voice memos. Mm. We want to have lots and lots. We want to hear from all over the world. Hey, also in the inbox today, it's the continuing updating, feels like a breaking news story for us, really, the cafe situation. Uh, Debbie Holmes had written to us last week about how she wanted to support her local cafe, and then people wrote to us pointing out the soscafe.nz site. So it turns out that on that site, you can just donate as well as buy a voucher, So, which is what Debbie was interested in, and she's in fact written to us again and said that's what she's going to do. So that's nice. Still online, someone just forwarded me uh, yesterday an invitation via Facebook to a dance party in my own living room. Whoop, whoop. I guess this is, whoop, whoop, indeed, this is continuing the theme, I guess, you can do well, you can do anything you like at home, you can do yoga classes, you can you can do, I'm sure you, there's, there's samba lessons, um, my daughter has actually been doing clarinet lessons online remotely through her school. Sometimes I hear those through the walls. You do, <laughs> you do, you do, and then you also hear me storm to the door and say, we're recording! Um, But anyway, so this is called The Dark Side Dance, and there's a little bit of a note at the top of it. So usually the dark side is total dance freedom in total darkness. No bar, no lights, big sound, and the wildest tunes you'll hear all week, every week. This event is usually run in the Greyland Library, that's in Auckland, central Auckland. Library Hall weekly, but we're on lockdown. So instead, they've got a thing where they'll have a playlist which will stream, and people can, I guess, turn the lights off at home and dance like there's nobody watching, because this time there literally will be nobody watching but that's that's well and good but what sort of interested me about this is that because this was on Facebook directly above the ad Facebook had posted some sort of automatic advisory which said Adam stay up to date on coronavirus information and then it says it's all it's up to all of us to slow the spread of COVID-19 everyone including young and healthy people should avoid large gatherings during this time stay up to date and then it goes on tells you where to go and look COVID19.recover.nz I'm guessing I don't know this, but it looks to me like that's the kind of, you know, AI reading through posts and taking a punt at what it is mm. um, that they've been using to counter all sorts of misinformation or general general naughtiness. So I guess it's pretty similar to those those things that uh, appears now whenever you read any anti-vaxxer nonsense on Facebook. There's a quick thing saying, oh, do you actually want to know the truth about vaccines? Go here. Haven't heard much from the anti-vaxxers recently. Hmm. What's on the pandemic playlist today, Eugene Bingham? Well, Adam Dudding, we heard from a listener, Gail Hope, who wrote in to alert us to an original song by a local artist, Matthew Young. It's called Just Hold Tight. Matthew returned to Aotearoa from overseas. He went into isolation and wrote this song. It feels too real this time. 
really like this one. I, th- you know, I think the standard of COVID-19 lockdown music is, is going up and up. I mean, it'll be difficult, I guess, for New Zealand to ever top the Baked Potato song, which came out of... Thank you, Baked Potato. Blighty yesterday. Hmm. Which one? Sorry, how does it go? Thank you, Baked Potato. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, Matthew's got a way to go before he can surpass that sheer brilliance, lyrical fluency. Matthew has passed that. Don't worry. Anyway, I really like the song, but it's also another top Kiwi made in lockdown music video. So Matthew, it shows Matthew in his home studio. He's moping around, eating his cornflakes with a rather sad air. Throughout, he's wearing pajama bottoms, and it's 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 really not like a bit of a John Mayle vibe in terms of the, the you know the chords and the the harmonies and all that. For me, the standout lyric is he's looking forward to getting quote back to an easier life. When Corona came with a squeeze of lime. Oh, great line. When Corona came with a squeeze of lime, it's not our last goodbye. Make no mistake about it, government and officials around the world are approaching this public health emergency as a war. Calls for volunteers for the front line, the use of fighting talk and stirring language. You know, the virus is being described as the enemy and the Prime Minister talks about this mission we share. Like all modern wars, governments all over the world are looking at digital weapons. National correspondent Steve Kilgallen, who, to be fair, is not the most technically minded journalist in the country, has been surveying the munitions that may be employed. Hey, Steve, sorry about the burn. No, that's fine. But I've always said about journalism, you need to become an instant expert on donuts one day and suspension bridges the next and... uh this is the case here. I know nothing about tech, but I've understood enough to learn about digital contact tracing. Brilliant. So what kind of apps exist already? There's a lot of work going on around the world, but the, the one that seems to be first to market, or at least is getting talked about most, is one in Singapore called Trace Together, which uses Bluetooth rather than um, your cell phone position, which which is important, to um, to log where people have been. And basically what happens is if you have the Bluetooth switched on on your cell phone, it will um, sort of perform a digital handshake with anybody else who passes close enough who has the Bluetooth switched on as well. And people I've talked to say the range of Bluetooth is about 30 metres. So it, it, it's reasonably accurate in picking up the contacts you want and ignoring people who are further away. So lots of people are talking about Trace Together, but I've also been told it's not without its flaws. It doesn't necessarily work well on iPhones. But that's the one people are talking about. But there's also a group of researchers in Europe working on one. There's groups in America, and I'm aware of at least two groups in New Zealand that are also working on apps. And there, there were other technological or technology uh, tools that were used, for instance, in China and and even Iran that were slightly questionable or not as clean. Yeah, so I did I did some reading, and there's a piece in Economist that said that the Chinese were saying to people. Um, switch on your WhatsApp, add me on WhatsApp and leave your location services switched on. And the effect of that was essentially that the Chinese officials could track every movement of the phone. Um, And there was an allegation that the Iranians had a diagnostic app that was doing a similar thing. And that sort of leads to the big question about digital contact tracing is the privacy question. And that's probably why the Singaporean one has been popular because it's harder for governments to exploit the Bluetooth data, I've been told, whereas... If you use an app that relies on cell phone GPS positioning, you're effectively handing to the government the ability to see every citizen's every move. Well, everyone has got a, a cell phone. Um, and there's all sorts of privacy implications there. And also you then start to wonder, 
um, Thomas Beagle from the Civil Liberties Union pointed out that at that point you start to get other agencies saying it would be very helpful if we knew where everybody was going. Um, if you're the police, for example, it'd be very helpful to see the the movement patterns of people around gang houses or tinny houses or that sort of thing. So there's a lot of implications there. Sure. Hey, can you just uh, explain a little bit more detail how the Bluetooth system, the, the Singaporean model, works? So sort of step me through it. I download it on my phone and then uh, how, do, how does that track my contacts? That's the first step. It is, is, is an opt-in rather than opt-out. So you, you, you download an app, you switch on your Bluetooth, and the app and the Bluetooth work together. And if your phone comes within close enough range of another phone operating the app and the Bluetooth, then they will exchange some data, and the data gets stored in the app for 14 days. So at the point where you become infected or suspect to be infected, you then hand over your phone, and they can take that data from your app. So they're not, they're not harvesting yeah. it as a matter of course. Um, they are um, taking it when they need it. So again, that's, that seems a bit more palatable to people. The impression you get is that, uh, you know, any 19-year-old who spent a little bit of time in a darkened room with a computer can whip up an app in a weekend. Uh, what's taking so long? You know, quite literally, why, why don't we have the Singaporean one, say, available in New Zealand right now? I suspect we would have the capacity to roll something like this out fairly much straight away. Oh, hang on. Can we go again? Yep. I'm, on, I'm on the phone. What? You want to get a cushion? Sorry, guys. Do not use this. We will be using this. Okay, there you go. Daddy's doing anything, okay? All right? Okay. Yeah, don't let Ali come up. Every single interview I've done in the last week has been interrupted by one or both of them, including Alistair saying he's going to throw my jandals in the bin because I've been naughty. Right. Do you want me to go again? I'll start again. Um from the conversations I've had, I suspect we've got the capacity to do it already. I talked to a guy called Tom Riley from a Christchurch firm called OptiTrack this week, and he's had developers around the world working on an app that he thinks is ready to go, not just for contact tracing, but for social distancing and for self-isolation. He can, what he calls, drop a geofence around your property that will send alerts if you leave. I know colleagues have spoken to other firms who feel like they're pretty close too. I think the question is, right at this moment, none of that's desperately useful. But the moment we leave lockdown, it suddenly becomes really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do wonder if, if the government have got something ready to announce in the next week or so that, that will affect the way we go about our lives in two weeks' time if we drop down to level three or level two. And and just practically speaking, I mean, is the Singaporean one sufficiently um, effective that we could literally just grab it and use it here as is, or do we have to have one that's to some extent uh, New Zealand specific? Um, I talked to a guy called Andrew Chen at Auckland University who's looked into this and written a paper where he effectively said the Singaporean one was the best overall model, but he felt it was flawed in its execution and that we should take the best bits from them and, and build our own one, was his view. And that goes back to the question of palatability for the general public, that he felt something along those lines would be the most popularly adopted, but he felt the actual way they'd executed it was wrong. I talked to Sean Hendy from Auckland University, who's a physicist who also has an interest in these things, and he said actually the take-up rate doesn't need to be that big. He thought even if 10 15% of us 
took up these apps, that would have a significant impact in helping contact tracing. So it doesn't need to have a huge buy-in, but it does need to have some buy-in. So I guess the question is which model the government go down? Do they go down one that logs your cell phone movements or do they go down one that uses Bluetooth? And I'd be really interested to see which of those they choose. It hadn't occurred to me until I read your piece that the solutions we're talking about need to be long-term ones. I guess there's a kind of a sense of, oh, we can get through these next four weeks and then she'll be right. But it's, you know, it's obvious that this is going to be a danger for a long, long time. And what these apps might offer us is a way of keeping on top of the disease and, and keeping us out of having to go back into level four again. Yeah, that's the appeal. And that's going to be the trade-off, I think. They're going to say to you, yes, you are going to have to have this invasive app on your phone. But look, you can go and see your friends again and go to the pub and, and go and live some normal life. But I guess the supplementary question to that for us to consider down the track is if you've got this app on your phone for two years and then someone finally decides that the emergency is over, will government have got used to having access to this information and quite enjoying it? And will they, you know, I'm not saying our government would do this, but you could see why some less liberal governments around the world would see this as a really useful tool to have and would find a way of maintaining access to mm. your every movement and and you know, for whatever crisis they deemed, like, what's the level of crisis that allows the government to have this in interference in your life? Is it, if there's a hurricane or an earthquake or a volcano, is that enough? Is there, you know, some sort of state of civil unrest? I think there'd be, have to some really strong guidelines and a public conversation around the limits of it. And that, that's happened with all sorts of technological changes, hasn't it? You know, in the, in, in the US, for instance, those ancestor DNA test kits got... And now being used to convict people of crimes, you know, not saying it's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but it's certainly an example of how technology made for one thing can be adapted by to another by the state, and and that mission creep begins, doesn't it? Yes. What level do you trust the state? I personally, just because of the way I'm psychologically made up, I don't trust the state at all, really. So I'd prefer them not to have any of this influence and input in my life. And I think there's already far too much. Look at CCTV, the way that's used now. They can track your movements around the centre of any large town or city in the world these days. So I'm all in favour of this digital contact tracing, but I would like some external body to be appointed to oversee it. Well, the privacy, the privacy commissioner, maybe. That's one name that's been suggested. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, someone, someone like that, that that has a degree of public trust and a degree of independence. Can we just clarify here, Steve? We, we're talking about contact tracing, right? Or are we talking about real time tracking? You know, would it be possible, for instance, to track people who've driven 20 kilometres to the beach with their family in Dunedin when they're not supposed to, for instance? I think you could build them with a little tick box that says, I'm the Minister of Health, I'm excluded from this because I'm better than the rest of you. Um, that would be that would be viable. Um, Tom Riley from OptiTrack said to me that um, it, we're talking about two slightly different apps, but yes, basically it is possible. You can build a geofence around your property or wherever you want, and the moment you step outside that that fence, which is um, operated through Bluetooth, it will send a little push notification like the ones you get from stuff or other less um, exciting news, news organizations when a big story happens that would go direct to the local police or whoever you nominated saying that this person has left the boundary of their area. So I imagine if you're David Clark, that phone would be pinging away at the Dunedin police station for a good half an hour and they could come and find you. Steve Kilgallen, thank you very much for the update on digital tracing and uh, we'll be talking to you again soon, no doubt. Thank you, Jens. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Wednesday the 8th of April. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Steve Kilgallen, Alex Yu, Catherine George, Patrick Crudson and Carol Hirschfeld and also the nurse who gave us our flu injections. Yes, 
You know this, I can tell because you're listening. But just in case, I'm here to tell you you can find us on all the podcast apps as well as the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz and our email again, viruspod at stuff.co.nz. Annyeong.